Milestones, the podcast here on the We Made This Podcast Network about birth and naming ceremonies, relationships and weddings, and death and funerals. My name's Mark Adams and I am a humanist celebrant. That means that I am accredited and insured by Humanists UK to deliver non-religious naming ceremonies, weddings and funerals. This is my podcast where I get interesting people to come on and talk about all of these things. My guest on this episode is Daniel Lang. He is an Australian podcaster that I know through the We Made This Podcast Network. And it was really cool to get on another international guest straight away after the last episode where I had an American guest in Brandy. And I really like the idea of comparing and contrasting how the different cultures of British people like me and people from other countries have when it comes to our ceremonies and our rituals. So it's really nice to have Daniel on the show. Daniel hosts Pretty Fly, which is a 90s nostalgia podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. If you want to check them out, they are a great cast that, if you grew up in the 90s, you're going to love it. Very quickly, before I hand over to my interview with Daniel... Just to remind you that any regular listeners of the Life Milestones podcast are entitled to a 10% discount to a naming ceremony or a wedding provided by me. If you want to do that when you get in touch, just quote the term milestones. You can do that through my email, mark.adams at humanistceremonies.org.uk or just message me on Facebook or Twitter. And that's it. So I'm going to hand over to my interview with Daniel Lang. With me at this time is Daniel Lang. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to Life's Milestones. Hello, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, I'm really excited to be here today. So you are my second international guest. Having had an American lady last week, I've now got an Australian chap. And please do be prepared for me to be completely ignorant about your culture and grill you about things that are probably really obvious to you so i do apologize for that in advance oh no look i uh, i totally understand as uh, uh, as part of this very sophisticated and amazing australian culture i'm very used to uh, ignorance of, uh, of other cultures trying to learn from us <laughs> <laughs> look, i'm british i'm not going anywhere near that yeah, no, there used to be a time <laughs> when you guys would sort of dominate over everything and, and try and make it british but it's good to see you have learned, you know, we'll sit back and listen a little bit and get involved. I mean, I don't currently have a cup of tea and I feel like I'm letting the side down a little bit. Mm. Do you have a Castlemaine 4X? Uh, no, I'm actually, you know, this is the most un-Australian thing ever. I'm a decoder. I don't drink at all. Is that legal in Australia? It is, but you get a lot of weird looks and you get a lot of people who just refuse to believe you. No matter how often you say it, my my best friend and I I haven't had a drink in like nine years, and my best friend will still be like, "You want one for like old time's sake?" Mm, mm. No, I'm good. How do you feel about the Australian stereotypes? Stuff like 
you, if, if you're an Australian that comes to Britain, you work in a bar and stuff like that. How do you feel about these stereotypes in general? Do you think they're particularly shitty? They're not great. Like, it'd be nice if the stereotype was like we're very erudite and. Very, uh, but some of it's well earned, if I'm honest. And even myself, I'm not too poorly spoken, but I have noticed sometimes uh, a lot of my family come from Scotland. And when you get together, you all of a sudden you're a little bit more dinky guy when you're talking, you know, good day, guys, how you going? It sort of mm. just comes out. It's this like unconscious Aussie in thing. Yeah. So I think we do kind of, and I have noticed like something I've spoken to a lot of people who've traveled about. And it's something I think we all kind of do when we leave a little bit. And, you know, some things like you said Forex at least, like that's a beer that. People actually drink here. A lot of people think in America think it's all Fosters. And mm. I, I haven't seen anyone drink a Fosters beer in Australia since like 1994. Fosters is brewed in Manchester. Yeah, it's not even an Aussie beer. No, it's brewed in Manchester, England, where I live. And it's awful. It's not good. Even when I drank, it's like, mm, no. But um, yeah, it's one of those things. You just kind of have to roll with it. And, and I, I grew up in, in a small town in, in the bush. And like, we did have kangaroos on our front lawn. But it's not like that. I live in the city now. I live in Sydney, and it's like mm, you're not going to see a kangaroo anywhere in Sydney except the zoo. You're going to have to go so far out of the city to find one. So mm. you kind of disappoint people with that sort of stuff. Right. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about how old you are and where you are from and your background to begin the podcast. Well, that's quite um, quite depressing. I'm 31. That's young, mate. Mm, it feels old. I'm at the point the last. Six months, the grey hairs have started to come in around the, my temples. Yeah, that happens in your 30s. It's depressing. <laughs> it's very depressing. Um, I've got thick hair, though, so I'm not going bald. I'm quite happy about that. So, yeah, 31, born in June 1989, and I grew oh. up and spent the first 20 years of my life in a uh, quite a small town called Lithgow, which is about two hours west of Sydney. Uh, if anyone knows the Blue Mountains, which are quite a famous tourist hotspot, kind of the other side of the Blue Mountains down in the, the valley where the mountains end. It's quite a working class old kind of mining town. It's very, I know my English geography well, it's kind of very northern English. A right. industrial town, you know, a smelter and coal mines and power stations and all that sort of stuff. But most of those were closed by the time I grew up. So I came down to Sydney ooh, seven, eight years ago, and I've been here ever since. So, so first ignorant British question about Australia. Sure. Does Australia really want to murder you? Are the spiders that will kill you fucking everywhere and gators and snakes with more venom than fuck knows? Is, yeah. is it really as bad as people say it is? Sometimes. No gators, more crocodiles. But I've never seen a crocodile. I can confirm. There is a spider called the funnelweb spider, which is one of the deadliest spiders in the world. And this is this is quite an off-topic story, but I think it'll give you a good idea. When mum and dad renovated the back of their house, I would have been 13, 14 years old, and that helping my dad dig these trenches to put footings in to extend the back of the house. And funnelweb spiders will quite often dig little burrows, and they're about as big as a human hand at their biggest Sweet fuck. Yeah, they're big guys and they're very aggressive. If you Google funnel web spiders on image, you'll see two big fangs at the front with poison dripping off them. 
I, I'm good. So I'll believe you. Yeah, no, you don't want to see it. Trust me. I'm not a spider guy either. I don't. Uh, snakes, no issue. Can deal with that. Spiders terrify me. But Dad had caught thirteen of these unawed spiders and put them in a glass jar. Why the fuck didn't he kill them? Well, back then, it's different now, but back then, we have a service called Wires, and they used to milk the venom to make anti-venom. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, that, that's a very good reason to not kill them. <laughs> so, and Dad was really big on that. Like, to be honest, if I saw one, Double would have gone right through it. But Dad collected 13 of them. And, you know, 10, uh, 13, 14-year-old Dan thought, I'm just going to shake it up a little bit, because they get very aggressive, and they do spit their venom. So I'm playing around with it. How cool is this? They can't get me. I go past this glass jar to my friend who didn't quite have hold of it and he dropped it. Oh, shit. Yeah. So 13 of, you know, the most poisonous spiders in the world who've been antagonized for about 15 minutes now, just rearing across this concrete driveway, just wanting to go. Basically, we were being chased by spiders. Oh, fuck me. It's like something out of a horror film. Yeah, yeah. Look, that was that's the closest I think I've ever done to dying. Long story short, yes, there are a lot of things that want to kill you, but you can go through your life without running into them if you're a little bit smarter, a little bit more cautious than I am. And so would someone like Sydney have less funnel web spiders and poisonous snakes and crocodiles and fuck knows what else you've got? Yeah, yeah. The city, the city is a bit of a different thing. Like, I say I live in Sydney, but I live right on the west edge uh, near the Blue Mountains. We kind of back onto some bush. You will see snakes and spiders and stuff around our place. If you're in the CBD in Sydney, you're not. It'd be bad luck if you ran into one. <laughs> British wildlife is blue tits and foxes and maybe a hedgehog. I just... <laughs> your, your country scares me. So the next ignorant question I want to ask you... One of my favourite people in all the world is um, an Australian woman who met a Brit, married him, and they now live in here, got kids, etc., etc. But she's really the only Australian person that I know well. And she's adorably batshit crazy. (laughs) When she went to Australia for a holiday, she came back with some lovely gifts for me. It was a, a coin pouch made from a ball bag of a kangaroo and a purse that was a frog that had had its back legs lopped off and a zip put on him. So it was like his face and his arms. Yep. But and, and, and she was like, oh, these are great. Don't you just love these gifts? No, Sonia. No, they're repulsive. Are you all like that? <laughs> Look, I, I haven't got any of those, but I I have seen a lot of them in like, They're in a lot of the touristy shops and stuff. I wouldn't say a lot of Aussies have them, but I would say they're the sort of things we would definitely give to Brits and say, how good is that? So I can definitely see where Sonia's coming from. Crazy, wonderful, ludicrous human beings. Good. Right. Well, I like Australians. Or at least I like the one I've met properly. (laughs) Um, So I think what I'm going to do before we start to get into the big stories about your childhood and naming ceremonies is quickly let you plug your stuff. What do you do at the moment that makes you interesting? Yeah, so my good friend Bo Nicholson and I, we record a a 90s nostalgia podcast. Basically, we're two guys in our early 30s who haven't grown up and kind of think most modern pop culture sucks a little bit. 
So we kind of just go back and remember the cool stuff, like Jurassic Park and The Simpsons. And this week we did 90s rock music. So we went from, you know, early 90s grunge through to power pop and new metal and all that exciting stuff. And, I mean, it was only after the show we uh, we called Pretty Fly, which is obviously a little homage to uh, The Offspring's Pretty Fly for a white guy. And one of the 90s bands we didn't talk about was The Offspring. We both kind of finished and we went, hey, you didn't mention The Offspring and, and I didn't. So, and we both kind of like them, me, even more. But yeah, that's us. Uh, pretty Fly, a 90s nostalgia podcast. Everything else in my life is really, really boring, but the podcast is great. I really enjoy your podcast. I think because you and Bo are a little bit younger than me, I'm kind of like looking at 90s nostalgia as my second nostalgia mm-hmm. because I had 80s nostalgia because I'm well, basically I'm 10 years older than you. So funnily That's enough, how it works, yeah. I've had the 80s nostalgia and now the 90s nostalgia is coming in. 80s was my childhood. 90s was my early adulthood. And I, I love your podcast. And what I'd recently launched a podcast myself called Right in the Childhood, which is about my childhood and my friend Fraser's childhood. And you and Bo are directly in the middle of me and Fraser when it comes to your ages. And it's fascinating. You could almost put your podcast in the middle <laughs> of ours. And um, I think there's huge value in nostalgia. People need cheering up. And nostalgia is one of the best remedies i think absolutely I, I always say it best when i'm sick and i'm the sort of guy that it, i get the old man flu i've got a sniffle i'm i'm dying basically and you may as well just you know put me in a casket i'm, I'm gone if i'm if i'm feeling a little bit and if i do feel like i've got a bit of a flu or a cold i'm on the lounge and i rotate 90s movies i rotate <laughs> 90s tv shows I'm just reminiscing about the good times, brought that up and put in podcast form. And yeah, we thought it'll be interesting to see if anyone's overly interested in two guys just kind of ranting and raving, but the feedback's been great. As you said, we've had some really cool feedback on, on how things are going. And even if no one was listening, we'd probably still do it, but it's worked out well enough that it's started out all right and we're slowly growing and obviously part of the same uh, network the the we made this podcast network which absolutely deserves another plug why not you know keep the keep the boss man happy but yeah so it's it's great fun and i think we're both using it as a bit of a almost a cathartic experience we have this little once a week we get together sometimes we record one show sometimes it's two but it's a great chance just to get, you know forget all the stress of being adults and paying bills and rent and mortgages and whatever and just uh Talk about cool stuff. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Shall we move on to talking about birth? We have talked about this sort of a little bit, but where and when and how were you born? I was born in Lithgow Hospital, uh, mm. which is a not even the same building anymore. It's knocked down, moved, gone. Uh, I was a cesarean. I know that much. I know I came after quite a long and prolonged labour for my poor mother, who assures me she had a perfect set of teeth before she went into labour with me. Um, her teeth are quite fine now, but they've been ground down a little bit. There was a lot of uh, <laughs> clenched jaw. And, uh, for anyone who hasn't right. seen me, I've got the biggest head in the world, basically. I've just got a fat head. 
so C-section it was to keep my mum alive, basically. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I grew up in Lithgow, stayed there at, uh, for 20 years anyway. So sort of hung around where it all started with very little ambition. A friend of mine, she refers to um, her cesarean birth as my child came out the sunroof, which I think is <laughs> equal parts lovely and repulsive. I to say there's there's like a, a gory fascination there. It's like oh, oh. Mm. <laughs> no. Well, I, I I remember very distinctly. We very blessed that we've got like very good relations all through the family. But one of my mum's cousins made this really shit comment. You didn't. It wasn't a natural birth. So are you like you're not really a mother? Oh fuck you! Yeah, like fuck you. Hang on a minute. What I found, obviously, I didn't find out about this when I was born. This was years later, and I've always just resented this woman for the way she said that to my mum. But I, uh, I'm like, mate, some of the things, and believe me, in the next 31 years, some of the shit I put my mum through, she is a saint. <laughs> What would possess you to say something as cruel and unnecessary as that? I cannot get my head around it. I'm like, mate, you don't get awards for pushing them out one way. As long as they come out and they're breathing and they've got 10 toes and 10 fingers, I think you've done a great job. Someone will never have to go through it. Um, I can only imagine. My my wife is like, and I'm sure we'll you know, touch on that later, but she's like four foot tall and weighs like 40 kilos. So I, I, I feel like that... A horrible thing to foist on. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Well, t- let, let's 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 lighten the tone and, and stop telling <laughs> random people I don't know to fuck off. And um, tell me a nice story about your childhood. I've got a lot of great stories. I grew up in a really small town, and it was the sort of town where we were on the edge of the bush, so we were kind of you know next to all the farms and and the real country kids. With funnel web spiders and all that shit. The funnel web spiders and the snakes and God knows what else. A lot of feral cats at one point had a feral cat problem. But they're not going to kill you. They're just going to meow at you for food. We get cats, so don't mind cats. These cats were, when I say feral, they've been like surviving in the bush on their own for a while. So they, they can kill stuff. They're not going to kill you, but they might scratch the living daylights out of you. And we, it's funny we spoke about this. One of the one of the podcasts we did, the movie you no, you don't think of as Great Fight Club. We had like Feral Cat Fight Club at one point, like in our backyard. I don't know why <laughs> our backyard, but it would be the middle of the night and there'd just be feral cats fighting. Uh, and it's like, what? Why? I don't understand. But yeah, I was really lucky, and I grew up in one of those old school neighborhoods where we had four or five kids. My cousins lived down the road, so. We always played a lot of cricket, played a lot of football, and just some pretty, pretty punch-ups. Is football football to you, or is football American football? When I say football there, I meant rugby league. Uh, but to me, football really is football football, as you guys would call it. Soccer. <laughs> so, well, we're still the Socceroos here, but all my family heritage is Scottish. and you know, I grew up a Celtic fan, and I watched a lot of football football so it's kind of interchangeable for me because if i say football most people here don't understand what i'm saying but to me it makes way more sense that the game you only play with your feet is football and and rugby league is rugby league (laughs) that's definitely the british argument 
Oh, yeah. And it, you know, I mean, it's logical. We, we spoke about how logic doesn't always apply before we started recording, and, and that's another example. Mm. I guess one of the one of the stories I spoke about the other night on, on our podcast, actually, I kind of want to say it again, just still baffles me. I had one of, one of, one of my great friends growing up was a kid named Rowan, and he's grown up to be a wonderful guy, got a family of his own, doing really well for himself, got a business. He and I were like the only two kids in the street this day, and we're playing cricket. Part of what we used to do was like trampoline on its side, so you kind of had like a wicketkeeper behind the batsman. And I have very clearly, I'm, I'm out. Like it's, it's very clearly edged it. It's hit the trampoline. I'm out. And my dad will swear by this. He was watching this when I, you know, we were like eight or nine. I have Rowan celebrated. He's like, it's my turn to bat, and I've said, no, no, turn around and look at the replay. I didn't hit it. And Dad said, these two kids, me and Rowan, just turn around. Look off into the distance, and about 20 seconds later, Rowan goes, yeah, no, fair call. You're still batting. <laughs> and I just like that. That's one of the big memories from growing up was it was all about playing sport. It was everything. Like we, it was always we're going to ride our bikes over to play rugby league at the Oval across the street, or we're going to get up, you know, crack a dawn on a Saturday morning so we can all cricket all day. It's kind of boring, but it's sort of what we live for, to be honest. Mm. And would you say that the, again, the reputation of Australians all loving cricket is true? Yeah, it can be. My wife, <laughs> um, she's sort of come around. But, you know, I'm the sort of guy that will sit there and watch all five days of a test all day, every day. Wouldn't bother me. Come in and go, oh, yeah, we're winning, sweet. But we are sporty. Like, we all have our sport and... It's to me like everything was around sports. And Saturday morning was would go and play hockey, football, cricket. Got a little bit older at rugby league. A little bit later on, um, I'm not sure how free and open uh, drug conversation is, but we did. Uh, we put our hands up to do country running in high school just so we could go and smoke marijuana behind the big rock in the bush, which in hindsight is kind of really obvious I'm, i was quite unfit didn't want to run and we'd sort mm. of just wander down after about an hour like yeah yeah no it's when obviously marijuana smells really really unique <laughs> i was going to go with distinctive but yeah yeah i don't think we were um we were fooling anyone with like an extra of lynx africa or something um <laughs> <laughs> now that's something we both share culturally clearly is 90s lynx africa so bad. <laughs> that stuff was was awful, but everyone had it. Or links like I remember links chocolate at one point. Links what now? Chocolate. It legitimately no. was supposed to smell like chocolate, hundred percent. And I mean, it didn't because it doesn't smell like anything that comes out of an aerosol can. But it was bad. But I remember that was always, always you had to get whatever the best links was at the time. That's fascinating because that's that was. Exactly the same. The, it was almost like when the new, I don't want to say flavour, fragrance, when the new fragrance <laughs> came out, you had to have it. And there was ice. Oh, I remember ice, yeah. Java. I don't remember Java. Fucking hell, there was there was others as well. I think you and I, with our podcast about our childhood, I've, I think it's just so easy to just sit there and talk about the dumb shit that you did when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. My best friend and I had like a 
three, four year separation where we hated each other. We had an argument. I don't think either of us can really remember what it was about, but we're both really stubborn. And <laughs> just not, not talking to this guy, he's, he's a dickhead. And, you know, he was exactly the same with me. And when we sort of came back, my wife had met him, but we hadn't had a lot of time. He, we sort of sat down and started going through the old school stories and the stupid shit. And my wife is mortified just at some of the stuff. And she's like, why would you, why would you even think about doing that? Like, <laughs> I mean, this is the best example, right? This is a, just a heartless, douchey thing to do. And I have never felt so bad in my life. And looking back, I'm like, how do I make reparations? It's not even the same guy, unfortunately, but how do I make reparations? When we, when one of the guys first got a driver's license, we would all sort of drive all around town all night, every night, just listening to loud music. How old is it in Australia for a driving license, by the way? So you get your learners when you're 16. Right. But you can only really drive around with all your parents or whoever's teaching you. You get your... Mm. So we've got two levels of P plates. So provisional one, provisional two. Your red P's when you're 17, your green P's when you're 18. And then you can right. go for your full license. So, And I was a year younger than most of my close mates. I played cricket and footy with them because I was quite good back in the day. So they got their licenses and I would always say, hey, we're going to drive around and listen to Eminem on... It was a douchey Nissan Pulsar with like a cannon muffler. <laughs> And so this piece of crap car, with it was an awful little pulsar with a cannon muffler and, like, everyone in town would hear you coming. And there was a milk livery depot and they would stack their, like, their milk crates, old plastic milk crates, right out near the road. And our game was you'd have to run out and see how many you could pull down before the guy came running out. Fucking hell. As I said, heartless douchebag behavior and like oh we're so bad we're like we're so bad like we've taken it to the man bringing down the system and i don't know who that guy was but i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> one when, the last time i did it and i made a conscious effort not to do it and trying to talk people out i did it as i'm running back to the car i hear this man yell out if you want a milk break just ask and I'm like, oh, no, that's just a nice guy who's now going to have to pick up, like, 30 milk crates and restack them. He doesn't need that. Why? No. So Time is money, and you stole his time. Yeah, trust. And I think back now, like, I'm too busy to do shit, and I haven't got anyone pulling my <laughs> milk crate or the equivalent of. So, yeah, I know all your listeners are thinking, oh, this guy's just awful now, but I'm... Because I feel like I have grown from that and I can look back and be like, what the hell? I think anyone and everyone has done dumb shit when they were a kid. I know I did. And you learn that the consequences of your dumb shit is guilt. And more than anything, for you personally, it's guilt because you see what it does to other people. And, you know, that's what growing up's about, right? Absolutely. And, like, that's a story that does come out occasionally. And then it gets to about that point, and I'm like, oh, I really wish I kind of didn't say that story now because I feel bad again. And mm. it's probably affected me way more than it affected that guy by this point because I've had you know, 15 years of guilt. But I still like, oh, 
next time I'm in lift camp, maybe I should pop around and be like, hey, you remember those dickhead kids? I was one of them. I don't know. Here's a carton of beer or something. I mean, I do remember. I saw it on Facebook a while ago. Again, they were about your age, actually, when this happened. Some school, well, some school, they weren't friends, but people I knew at school um, did bully this lad. And everybody knew that they bullied this lad. And 15 years on, they publicly apologised and they're friends now. But they really bullied him and they were ashamed of what they did. And, you know, that's growing as a person. And the fact that they openly apologised to the world, to this lad, I respected the hell out of that, you know? Yeah, and look, not on the same level, but I I bullied a kid at school and found him on Facebook years later. And I'm like, hey, like, just throwing it out there. Holy shit. I used to be a bit of a douche. And he was like, yeah, well, look, I'm not your friend, but thank you. you know, yeah, no, like, I'm not. I'm not saying you have to be my friend now. I'm saying, bro, I just want to put it out there. You know, and he's like, yep, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. See you later. And it's like, yeah, it, it is a little bit of, you know, to be selfish about it, it's a little bit and get your side across and say, well, look, I didn't get it. I didn't think, you know, when I was a little bit smaller, people bullied me, got a bit bigger. I bullied other people. It's kind of what we did. So mm-hmm. looking back, it's like you have to put your hand up and say, yeah, I could have been the one that, broke that cycle but i wasn't yeah indeed so do you have children i have a fur baby a fur baby i have a eight-year-old chocolate labrador (laughs) (laughs) we're those dog parents in a really aggressive way i mean they do say that having a dog for a couple can be almost like having a trial baby do you think that's fair Absolutely. And especially now that my, my, I've only got one sister, right? She's three years younger than me. She's got two kids. So I've got a niece and a nephew who are like the most beautiful kids in the world. Uncle Mode is my favorite mode. Like we go nuts on the big kid. So we go and play. They call me on FaceTime. I call them. It's the coolest thing. And we kind of, we kind of get the business from my parents. We're like, when are you guys going to have kids? You know, you know, I'm 31. My wife's about to turn 30. And it's kind of like, eh, we're not actively not having kids, but we're also not actively having them, I guess, is the best way right. to say it. But our, our little boy, Jagger, um, you know, we say goodnight and tuck him in. Goodnight, little buddy. We'll see you in the morning. We're a little bit like that with our cat. I respect it. <laughs> he's, he's our boy. He's eight now. We just turned eight. We had a little birthday for him the other day. We got him like a little muffin candle in it, saying happy birthday to him. <laughs> Brilliant. We totally did, too. That's exactly what happened, which I didn't think we ever thought we were going to become. People get like that with their pets, though, man. That's it. And, like, me and my wife went to the dog park today. We're taking down to the park, and about 15 other people in our little estate that all take their dogs. to. We've got this beautiful big park down there. It's all fenced in. And so we all let the dogs run wild. There's, like, 20 dogs running around. Every time you turn around, there's just another dog to pat. It's um makes me so happy. For me, one of the worst things about COVID is that you can't fuss a dog. You can't, yeah. you know, you, you, you go out in the park and you see all these dogs. Normally, I'm the weirdo that asks you if I can fuss your dog. Yeah. And, and you can't fuss someone's dog. And I, I, I want to fuss the dogs. I like dogs. I'm with you. Hey, I'm the weirdo that comes up and I'm like, mm, what's his name? Yeah. And, you know, you're 100% right. But 
if I could give you like what I want to what I want to be when I grow up, uh, a child, I just want to pet the dog, man. <laughs> I mean, there are much worse ambitions than fussing dogs, I think. So you you're not sure whether you're going to have kids, but you're kind of open to the idea. Would that be a fair assessment? I'd say 12 months ago, I would have said, no, we're not having them. Or it's probably not going to happen. In the last 12 months, I think it's more, eh, if it happens, it happens. And, you know, I'm the only mm. boy in the family now, so carry on the name and all that, which is not really a, a big thing for our family, but it would be nice, I guess, if, if we did have a kid. But also, if it didn't happen, I don't think it would be the worst mm. thing in the world that happened. I guess it's one of the, I'm not always a fake person, but if it happens, it happens. Yeah, of course, of course. So if you did have kids, do you think you would have a naming ceremony, a christening or any other ceremony to welcome the child into the world? I think we'd do a naming ceremony. I'm very, I wouldn't say, oh, it's a tactful way to say anti-religious. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's kind of anti-religious is the easiest way to say it. Would you really go as far as saying that you're anti-religious, genuinely? Um, I guess not all the time, but there are times if I'm in a particular mood, I will argue points with people. You know, like my best friend at work, is very, she's very religious. We've kind of made peace where we don't talk about religion at all because she's very, yeah. very into her faith. And I'll be like, oh, don't, tell, don't talk to me about this guy, Barry, you know. So I wouldn't say I'm like out there like, oh, you know, burn the churches. But I think more than anything, I'm anti-Catholic. Does that come from experiences in your childhood? Not even. I, I mean, like, I my parents weren't overly religious. My grandparents were a bit more so and uh, history of, you know, Irish Catholics and Scottish Catholics in my family. But I, I work with some people who have offended with criminal acts and some of those are priests and i i do i do see i i think i tend to dwell more on the negative aspect is probably the way to say it i know there is a lot of good but i tend to be very very uh focused on what they've done wrong so organized religion no interest in catholic church i would say is probably more where i draw the line i'm like i don't like it I mean, for me, I'm explicitly not anti-religious. My my job is non-religion, you know, but I, I'm not. I, I don't think I'd ever want to get into an argument with anyone. I wouldn't go out looking for it. I, I, I'd have a dialogue with someone and talk to them and explain my point of view and where I'm coming from. But I've never really seen the sense in arguing with people. On a logical perspective, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But I think there is a very innate part of me that enjoys a little bit of conflict, which is weird to say, uh, and certainly not, you know, to a really serious, dramatic level. But I've always enjoyed, and I think a lot of it does come from that sporting background a little bit. When I was playing cricket. I was always the, you know, the derpy guy that was doing a little bit of playful sledging and all that sort of stuff. So it never got serious, but I've always had that really competitive let's let's get into that little bit of argy-bargy. So probably not my best quality, but um, I guess it's definitely there. I wonder if there's anything in that from what you're saying, because I was the exact opposite of that. I was the stereotypical gay kid who always got picked last because he was scrawny. And I 
don't want conflict. So maybe there's something in what you're saying. There probably is because I think I had to, as a kid, particularly by the time I got, you know, I was quite a big kid. On you know, I'm six foot four now. I'm quite tall, quite mm. a robust fella. I went looking for a bit of conflict. Like I'd play rugby league and you into the hard tackles, and sometimes you'd you know give a bloke a little bit of a ribs, or he'd give you one. Like mm. it was pretty you know, brutal stuff. Uh, so I guess I mean, if you're saying you felt like you were you know a little bit or picked last, maybe you had enough conflict in your life. Whereas I went specifically looking to get into conflict. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mm. and something to this day, if I'm like I'm playing backyard cricket with my family, I'll be like, my mum will be batting, and I'll be like. Drop a couple of short ones. She can't handle the short pitch balls. Just get them up around the throat. She can't handle that. Uh, I won't try and hurt her. Fucking but... <laughs> 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 hell. Um, back on topic, have you got any ideas what you might like to to have as part of the naming ceremony for your theoretical child? I've got to be honest. Um, I have never been to a naming ceremony. Hmm. I've never really had exposure to that. I refer back to my good mate with whom we had arguments. I am technically the godfather of his children, but I wasn't there for their christening because of that argument. So things have all come back, and he said he'd like to do a ceremony at some point. It's like, well, yeah, let's let's do it. Um, so I've never really been there. I know that they've, they're growing in popularity out here. I feel like I'd never heard of them until a few years ago. But if, to be honest, if my wife wanted it, it would happen. If she didn't, right. it would be like, hey, something you want to do, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that one of the quintessential important things that you should emphasise about a naming ceremony is it is fully a choice. There is no obligation to do it because you don't have a religion to be brought into, you know? Well, that's it. I get, you know, you've got your, your christenings to, to do all that and guess that's a, a different way to do it, isn't it, really? Like, it's it's mm. a non-religious way to, from what I can gather, it is here anyway. I don't know if that's a bit different in the way that you do it, but I'm sure you can uh, enlighten me. Mm. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. It's a celebration of the kid <laughs> and um, zero religion involved. And you can essentially make it what you like. You can have a very simple kind of ceremony where it's just a little bit of a story about the child and then some parents promises some guide parents as i like to call them promises and um oh, I like that. readings and a bit of music but you can one thing i really like is to end it with bubbles and bubbles where the kids get a bottle of bubbles and the adults <laughs> get some champagne or some fizzy drink if you don't drink yeah true I toasted my wedding with, with Coca-Cola and a champagne glass, so... Very nice. We'll come back to that. But the, the, you, you can make them as elaborate as you want because there is no formality and no requirements of them. That They are a lot more flexible and a lot more thoughtful for people. I feel like you saying that, I feel like if I did have a kid, I would be so over-the-top proud of it that I probably would want one just my kid in people's faces again kid look what i made you know non-religious people can do that too i feel like that, that's how it would happen now that you i've sort of got a little bit of a grasp on it and think about it a little bit i think that's exactly what i would do just be like here's my kid more 
put it out there. He's the best kid mm. that's ever been made kind of thing. Or she, I guess. <laughs> Shouldn't assume the gender of a non-born child. <laughs> a child that doesn't exist has every right to be whatever gender it chooses. Well, absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move on and talk about weddings. I know you're married because you've said you're married uh, earlier in the show. So tell me about your wedding day. Honestly, cliche, but it was the best day of my life. It really was. I'm lucky enough. Again, it's, it's super cliche, but I married my best friend. We were together seven years before I popped the question. So it was plenty of time. Like uh, The try before you buy deal was really thoroughly examined. <laughs> Just... <laughs> And, you know, it got to the point where everyone was kind of like, hurry up. Are you going to get married? You need to do it. So we, we finally went ahead and uh, we booked a, a beautiful place called in Bicentennial Park in Sydney. Mm. Uh, and it's it's basically right smack bang in the middle of the site where the Sydney Olympics were held in 2000. Right, yes. Very different now. It's all been transformed into a massive park with a big lake and... and um, Funnily enough, like our wedding planning came together so nicely, we ended up hiring the first celebrant that we met. Right. We ended up booking the first venue that we actually went and looked at. And I <laughs> ended up buying the first suit that I tried on. Sometimes these things happen like that, don't they? It was, and I was expecting it to be this, you know, hugely difficult. And, you know, not taken away from my wife. She planned most things and did an amazing job. But we we went ended up going with a venue that did a lot of the hard yards for us. They the package included a lot of stuff, and mm. it was basically turn up, put the finishing touches on. We went in a couple of days before and dropped off a lot of things. And um, where it was, because there's still a lot of sports facilities there. There's a lot of hotels and this departments. So my um, my mum and dad booked out a whole floor of this like service department block and we were all sort of staying in there. I had another room uh, down below, which actually was beautiful night, beautiful dinner the night before. I know you said wedding, but I want to talk, talk about the lead up a little bit. Of course. We had this beautiful dinner with family. Everyone kind of went back to their rooms. My wife went back to her room. All her bridesmaids and, and friends were coming from out of town. So they all stayed in this building. They were all there that night. Contrasting, most of my friends came from Sydney, so they were just going to turn up on the day. So while everyone was having this big party upstairs, I was just kind of being alone, watching a bit of television. Yeah. Uh, and I had this interesting moment, like all the suits were hung up, so we had the four, uh, four groomsmen, or best man and three groomsmen, five suits all hung up, ready to go. <laughs> I'm really anal about ironing. Um, I iron every little <laughs> bit of clothing that I wear right down to underwear. It's, Good grief. Uh, it's a legitimate OCD thing at this point. The only person I know other than you that does that is my mother. And she's a 73-year-old woman. And it's probably not the only thing we've got in common, if I'm honest. Um, I feel like I'm a 73-year-old woman at heart. Uh, <laughs> she's not into M&M, mate. <laughs> well, she's given it a bit chance, you know. <laughs> Look, it's, it's a go behind the curtain. It's quarter past nine at night here. As soon as we're done with this, my wife will be bringing in a cup of tea and a mickey. So I'll be sitting down having a cup of tea and going to bed. 
Sounds all right to me. Yeah. So I had this beautiful moment where, you know, I could legitimately hear everyone upstairs having a good time. There was a little bit of music. Not it was overbearing, but they were having a good time. I was just kind of sitting and I had all this time to just reflect on what was about to happen. This is where I go, oh, my God, I want to do it. Is this, you know, yeah. the person I want to marry goes through all those things. But as much as I kept waiting for that, I guess those thoughts and feelings, they never came. It was just this supreme couple of hours of complete comfort while I ironed, got ready, went upstairs to see everyone but my wife to say goodnight, came back down, went to bed, slept like a baby, woke up the next morning to my friends ringing, we're, we're on our way, let's get ready, what's the go? And it was the smoothest, like nothing really went wrong. Huh. The only little bit, my wife was uh, getting driven around in this, I can't remember what it was now. She's always a, a very fancy old Mustang. She, um, she's nice. right into those cars. Yeah, beautiful car. And she kind of was a bit worried about running over time being driven around. So she got to the ceremony like earlier than everyone expected her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of just wandering around looking, talking to people, and everyone's like, "Ifs here, Dan, just go away, look down that way, go away. It's like, mm, really? She <laughs> <laughs> was just like, I was so worried about not coming. Yeah, but we got dressed, and we went over to, there was a little pub, so we had some, um, we ordered a, a bunch of like potato wedges and had a couple of drinks. A few, my old man had a couple of beers, and some of the boys started drinking about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I uh, put on a couple of nervous uh tickets on the horse racing just to sort of that and uh i won a couple hundred bucks before it even started so i thought that was a really good sign no that is a good sign yes i'm I'm probably the only bloke who who got uh who got married with just a wad of cash in his pocket i didn't have my wallet with me (laughs) (laughs) just a wad of cash um yeah sort of wandered over it was the most laid back day my wife and i are both really laid back people like not all that worried if something goes wrong whatever you know so mm. we sort of get there all the it's uh the the venue where we actually had the ceremony was right next to the lake it was on a little grassy knoll right so the they had like a big arch over near the water where we stood everyone up behind that uh, at one point there was a bunch of um I, i'm assuming they were tourists they spoke no english i assume they were chinese who were riding their bikes right through the middle on this footpath. And it's like, mm, guys, do you mind? And I was like, eh, whatever. And my mum kind of went, go away. <laughs> she put the foot down as as mums do. And they had a barrier there, but they were just kind of riding around it. I think she scared them and was like, no, nope, ride through there anymore. Uh, and we sort of just I chilled mean, there. someone's mother on their wedding day does sound like a particularly formidable foe. I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that they, they, they kind of ran away. And my mum's a lifelong teacher. So it's like, don't mess with her, man. She will put on that teacher voice. <laughs> right. You, you, you. Yeah. So I think once she laid the, once she laid the law down, it was like, mm, no, not messing with her. Yeah. So we had the, a non-religious ceremony. We had a, a lovely celebrant. I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember her name right now. She did an amazing job. I probably don't know her. She's Australian. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you've crossed part. No, you can just give her a plug. Like, I'm sure it's not uh, not not like a crossover business moment there for you guys. No, no, she did a she did an amazing job. Like, she put us at ease. 
I hope, hopefully it goes without saying that it was the first time for both of us, but neither of us, <laughs> neither of us really knew what, what we had to do with all the paperwork and, and all mm. that. And the one thing we, we did we say was that we don't want it to be a long service and we don't want it to be a religious service. And that's why we're obviously not having it in the church. Mm. So we had it out there. She did a, a great job. She had a, a wonderful bit. I got a little carried away. She had a bit where I was, she said a few things and I was supposed to repeat after her before. And then she would ask me to say, I do. Right. But as soon as she said my name, I just, I sort of leaned in and went, I do. That's adorable. Yeah. I was really nervous. So I do, I do. Yes. And that sort of, I think that could sort of cut the tension out for everyone else. Like oh, it's Dan and Gip. Like they don't care, you know? Yeah. So very quickly, I want to ask, so could your celebrant legally marry you in Australia? Or did you have to have a registry office? No, no. So they did all the paperwork. Registered celebrant is like a registered celebrant. They're authorised to perform the wedding. They do all the legal paperwork. So I know from having uh, done a little bit of research, there is certain legal words that have to be said in in Britain when they're going through the, I assume, uh, from what I've read. Well, we, uh, humanist celebrants and indeed any celebrant that isn't a uh, priest or a, uh, I think some some other religious leaders can, but essentially you need a registrar. And uh, we have been campaigning, funnily enough, for a long, long time. And you compare the fact that I can't legally marry someone, despite the fact I've had considerable amounts of training, and someone can click their fingers in the States and they can legally marry someone. It's it's fascinating to me. So do these people have to go through some legal training to be able to legally marry you? And is it difficult? Look, I don't think it is, judging by the amount of celebrants that we found in within like a five-kilometre square radius of where we lived when we started looking. <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of uh, people handing out tickets one day. Mm. But there is there is that legal component from what I could gather. So there is obviously some sort of um, I guess certification that they have to go through to be able to conduct that ceremony and then also legally sign all that paperwork and do all that. Yeah, so like a, a phraseology maybe. Yeah, very likely. Like she had all the paperwork ready to go. We had mm. signed most of it before we even rocked up. It was just uh, myself, my best man, my wife, and the maid of honour had to sign mm. a a bit of paperwork at the hour right. of the day. And that was left with her. She mailed it all off. Well, weeks later, we got our marriage certificate in the um, in the mail. Brilliant. Did you incorporate it as part of your ceremony or did you just do it in to the side at one point? I know it was part of the ceremony. We we mm. did all the um, we did all the formalities and then she said, right, we're going to go. Had like a table set up with all the stuff and we all had to sit down and, and sign. And um, I do remember at that point, my best man did say, I'm, I'm about to sign. Do you want me to do it or are you going to run? Rude. I respected that. I was like, eh, he gave me one last hour. <laughs> but no, it, it all signed up and sealed. And then we, we sort of came up and had the, the final bits and pieces. Like we wrote our own vows. Lovely. And then away we went. So to this day, I've got my vows still written down somewhere. But I look at it and I'm like, like I could have done better. But it was the best I did at the time. It was really nice. It was lovey-dovey. Um, that renewals are a thing. You could do that for an anniversary. 
we have considered that a little bit. It's a little bit early yet, but 100% there was some consideration to uh, do that at some point, just to sort of, it'd be nice to do. Maybe if everyone wants to rock up and give us money again. I mean, you could use the same celebrant if you could remember her name. I'm sure we could. My wife would. She'd have all, she'd still have like all her emails. 100%. She doesn't, never lets things go. So one of my favourite questions is, what song did you pick for your first dance? We had a little bit of a mashup, actually. I wanted to do something a little bit funny. Okay. Because that's kind of who I am. I'm always prefer to make people laugh. Mm. So what we did for the first minute and a half, we had 90 seconds of Annie's song by John Denver. Okay. Which actually was my parents' wedding song. That's lovely. Uh, and that's, you know, it's a very sappy, lovely song about, you know, feeling the sense of love and all of that. And then after 90 seconds, we had a big record scratch and we rickrolled okay. everyone. We did, um, you know, Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. For fuck's sake. I've got to <laughs> add Rick Astley to my damn playlist for the show now because of you. Yeah. <laughs> That's magnificent. We we told everyone except <laughs> mum and dad that we were going to do Annie's song and, you know, all of a sudden there is at some point there's a video somewhere where you can hear my mum going, off oh, sake, guys, and then just bawling, <laughs> which is great. That's so lovely. That was well. That was the whole idea. It was like, like my mum and dad have been by far and away like my biggest supporters, and they love Diff more than they love me. Honestly, like they love her so much, <laughs> and um, it was sort of like a, a big thank you to them. And then mm. everyone kind of was looking at them because they knew that was coming. What they didn't know was obviously the, the Rick roll, the master of ceremonies that we had for for the reception. Again, it was kind of a little bit quirky. There's a there's a guy down here called Scott McRae, and he was like a 80s TV heartthrob for a little bit, like a soapy kind of like EastEnders in here. He wasn't in Neighbours, was he? I think he played some small roles in Neighbours as well. Right. And then he, he hosted some like those afternoon kids game shows, like when you get home from school. Right. But for the last 25 years, he's been the ground announcer at the Penrith Panthers, which is the rugby league team that I supported all my life. Right. We actually became quite good friends. And pro bono, he said, I want to I want to do your wedding. Can I come down? So we had this sort of like 80s and 90s celebrity, which was so cool because he's just a wonderful guy. And we've, mm. we've, we've become friends. But so many people like, that's the guy from Download. What the hell? I watched that when I was in primary school. Uh, so he sort of helped us with the rickroll and everything, and then we broke into uh, a bit of dance, and, and we had a great night. Wonderful stuff. I approve. So ridiculous that how could I not? I love it. Well, the, the, <laughs> the one other thing, I think you'll love this. We are very nerdy as well, my wife and I, and um, she made her, her bouquet and made the bouquet for all the bridesmaids out of comic books. So cool. Yeah, she bought all these secondhand comic books um, and she made all the little flowers and stuff. But she, she spent like the sum total was like 20 hours or something um, and made all these bouquets. But she didn't want to throw them uh, for obvious reasons. So what we organized was to have a, a rugby league ball that she would kick instead of the bouquet. You are not wrong about Aussies being boisterous, are you? Yeah, no, we, we sort of just get, get right into it. 
<laughs> uh, it was an open bar, yeah. not again, not that I drink, but by that stage, everyone was having a great time. So amazing. That, I, I did like that. Thank you for sharing that. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm getting all emotional now. I'm thinking back on, <laughs> on a lovely day. Oh, don't let your mate see you cry. Mm, yeah, I'm a big man. I don't cry. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're going to move on to the final section, which is a little bit more serious, but it doesn't need to be. It's the section on death. So the first one is a bit of a bit of a humdinger. Are you scared of death? No, no. I, I have never. I've always been fascinated by the concept of it. Right. And and I, I work in law enforcement, and I'm confronted by a lot of very graphic stuff in my job. And I've sought out a lot of graphic stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, I know you have those kind of like stereotypical, cliched, true crime junkie. I'm kind of the guy on the next level that digs through like case files online and and tries to you know really dig into things and watch that a lot of people a lot of people won't watch documentaries that I recommend because <laughs> a couple of people have just been like, you can't make me watch that, you know. And I'm like, mm, but think about it this way. So, no, I, I think I'm very realistic about the concept of death. I think the majority of people, when I ask that question, it's more I'm scared about what I'll leave behind rather than anything else, you know? Mm. And I guess, yeah, and I, I think that probably comes back to, for me, I've always, I always try and make people laugh, always have a good time. Uh, and I think that is probably the legacy I've tried to leave my first 31 years, yeah. um, there's been the serious stuff. Of course, you can't always be the, the class clown, but I do tend to hope that people remember me fondly, I guess. And if they don't, I'm not going to be around to worry about it, am I? Or am I? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure you're not, but, you know, there are other people that, that think differently. And, see, and I, you know, I'm not smart enough to say one way or the other definitively, so I'll wait and find out. Yeah. That's all you can do. <laughs> Have you ever experienced the death of a loved one? Yeah, yeah. Quite young, my great grandfather died. Uh, I want to say quite young. I was, you know, old enough to know what was going on. And at one point in my life, up to about twelve years old, I was mm -hmm. lucky enough to have both great grandfathers in my life, as well as all four grandparents. That's quite rare. Yeah, which, you know, I had two great-grandfathers that lived into their 90s. Mm. I got to meet them. My my mother's grandfather in particular I got quite close with. He was, um, you talk about that, you know, that Aussie. Uh, I reckon that was him. He was a woodchopper who grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Right. And he was just a wonderful guy. So he was the first funeral I remember attending. Yeah. I played the bagpipes at that. I mean, I played the bagpipes. That's amazing. I did play the, the pipes there because, as I said, my family's all Scottish. That's pretty Scottish. Yeah, it's about as Scottish as it gets. It's like, yeah, so that was the first I remember. And I remember being sad and obviously that he wasn't around. Um, but I think lost later in life. Like I lost my maternal grandfather a few years after that, um, mm. which definitely hit me harder. I was, I was in the house when he passed. Right. And then literally two two months ago, yeah, at the start of July, we lost my grandmother. 
who I was extraordinarily close to. Of all the family, I probably, you know, she's one of the people I was closest to in my life. An amazing woman who, by rights, basically, from what I'm told, while my mum was in labour with me, they were told that she was about to die. Right. She's had breast cancer, tumours, and she lasted 31 years longer, which is amazing. That's pretty tough. Yeah. Look, little Scottish lady and very Scottish, born in a little island off Largs, came down very tough, very determined, one of the best people that was ever in my life. So we lost her only a couple of months ago. And of all the loss, I think that's the one that has hit me the most. Yeah. yeah. Not just because it's the most recent, but I think I'm obviously able to really process it. When my grandfather passed, I was in 16. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot going on in your life outside that. You kind of, you're sad, you miss them, but you move on. And obviously you move on, don't dwell on, on the loss of my grandmother, but it's the one that definitely impacted me the most. I really struggled. Like I, I gave yeah. a gave a speech, gave a eulogy, and um, I really struggled to get through it. Eulogies are incredibly brave. I always have an incredible amount of respect for the bravery of anyone who wants to do that. No, and, and I can 100% understand what you're saying because I, um, I did have a lot of respect for the um, for the gentleman that, that conducted the ceremony. I thought it there when so many people are so emotionally fraught and frayed and, mm. and edge and be able to not just compose yourself but to, I guess, be compassionate when you go through that as well, not just get up there and, like, head down and get through the words you have to get through but say say nice things in a really you know, lovely way and, a, and have that personalisation and that compassion. Oh, I really respect the ability to do that. Yeah, I think the best you can do at a funeral really is just make sure that people remember happy times by telling them about those happy times in a funeral and maybe even come out with maybe not with a smile on their face, but with more reinforced memories about the good stuff, the stuff that you want to remember to make you happy rather than the stuff that makes you sad. I think that's spot on. And it's one thing my mum was kind of like, even though she was a daughter-in-law, she, my mum's always the organiser, mm. um, coming back to that teacher thing. And, um, <laughs> you know, she sort of said it, sent out to all the, there's four grandkids and it was like, and mm. my sister and my two cousins, um, all of them put in these wonderful personal little stories. And I really struggled, mm. not because I couldn't pick a story, but there was just so much. Uh, huh. And, you know, we had so, so much time together, you know, and we lived in the same small town for 20-odd years and we stayed in touch very regularly when I left. And I guess I, I went first and it was way more of a how the F do you want me to sit here and sum up her impact, which, yeah. you know, it was it was really hard to do, and even now I'm getting a little bit emotional thinking about it. But I'm so glad that the rest of them they said a couple of stories, and they it was almost like someone turned the switch back on, and all these memories came flooding back in. And mm. it, well, I remember that, and I remember that, and that was amazing. Why didn't I think of that? The thing for me was always that connection. I'm the oldest grandchild. I right. was the only grandson, so we kind of had this connection, and you know. And the idea was that she'll probably hang on, see her first grandchild, that will be it. So we've we've always been bonded by that, I think. Mm. Mm. 
she sounds remarkable, and that ceremony sounds pretty remarkable too. Yeah, it was great, and like it was with the COVID restrictions, and so it was a very, very small gathering. There was like nineteen people there, mm. so it was really intimate. It was just close, close family, and I think that that made for a better ceremony. There wasn't, I guess, in funerals past. I've noticed that when you're that like direct close relative, everyone else comes up to you to say sorry, and and of yeah. course that's well wishing, but I think that that's kind of be very overwhelming as well. Everyone kind of wants to pass on their condolences and you know let their, their moment to say you know how wonderful that person was. Yeah. Have this really small ceremony. Uh, as I said, I was lucky enough to give a eulogy. I was lucky enough. I was asked to pick the music. Right. So I, I felt like I had this really, really close connection to how it went. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important to have a good funeral as part of your healing process. For sure. And I don't know whether you want to talk about it, but you know what happened at my granddad's funeral. So just to get off without a hitch was um, <laughs> was quite good. <laughs> you can talk about it if you want. I think I kind of have to now. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, my maternal grandfather passed away, and we can laugh about it now. It's 12, 13 years. We didn't have, like, family pallbearers. We we just organised for uh, – there was a cremation. They were going to bring up the hearse and then bring him in uh, with staff from the crematorium or the, the facility. And we were right next to the hearse, my mum, my grandmother, her, her son, my uncle, me – and then the rest of the family and the guys getting my granddad's casket out of the hearse dropped, <laughs> which you just have to laugh now. I, I, you do now? At the time, it was it was a shock. And yeah. I remember very distinctly, it was, you know, it was, everyone was like, oh, my God. And, like, my grandmother was, was obviously very, very emotional and, and, you know, she broke down. And I remember distinctly afterwards, just you know, everything's just kind of finished. That we're all hanging out in this garden, and I said, "Hey, it didn't hurt him. <laughs> you know, he's already gone. It didn't hurt." <laughs> I mean, I can't even. I mean, that's that's not my part of the ceremony. Obviously, I'm not a funeral director. I'm not a pallbearer. But I, I can't even imagine how you could recover a ceremony after that. No, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> you could just, it was almost like everyone was still in shock. The ceremony kind of just started and, and rolled on regardless because, you know, you have to. You have to. You've got a certain time slot as well. Well, that's it. You know, we're just kind of getting everything done. And in hindsight, as I said, I know I think everyone else is the same, but I, I laugh about it because he did have a bit of a quirky sense of humour as well. I think he probably would have laughed. At some point. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, screw it. It didn't hurt anyone. True. <laughs> I think you're kind of like cooling down and now finding it funny. I just wonder how the guy feels who dropped it. He's got yeah. that on his conscience for the rest of his life. And credit to, I know I wasn't the only one. There was a lot of people there, my grandmother included, who were like, it's okay. Because afterward, obviously, they were very apologetic. Mm. Um, I was waiting for, you know, the next, here's a voucher for your next funeral on us or something. (laughs) 
I think we were all kind of at pains to, to let them know that, you know, we weren't traumatised by it or horrified for the rest of our lives about what happened. We, we had a pretty good perspective about it, I think. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think you've got to, haven't you? You can't change it. Oh, we've all made plenty of mistakes. I feel like I've done some dumb shit in my life yeah. that I look and, you know, we spoke a little bit about it, but yeah. even uh, through my working life, I feel like I've done some things and you're like, mm, of course you didn't do that. But I think everyone has a bad day at the office, but that's a particularly bad day at the office for that Paul Bearer fella. Yeah, it's a very public bad day at the office. Yeah, poor bloke. Poor family, but poor bloke as well. Yeah, no, you you are right. Looking back, he, he probably thinks about it more than we do. Mm. You know, he probably, every time he brings a casket out, it's probably... Yeah. One time. So I want to talk to you now about you're using the term casket. That is not a term that the British use at all. We use coffin. The, the casket kind of to, in my head brings the idea of an open casket. Is the, is casket the word you de- you use in Australia or would you use coffin as well? And do you have much of the kind of open casket culture that America has? Oh, no, no, no. I've never seen an open casket. Coffin and casket is kind of interchangeable here. Right. Have you know, they're kind of the same type of thing. Um, I'm not sure whether that's like correct, but for us, I would say coffin and casket, anyone kind of being confused by it. Mm. Um, but definitely no open casket. I'm, you know, completely horrified by the concept of everyone lining up to look at a corpse in makeup. I, I wouldn't do it personally, but a lot of people get a lot of solace from it in the States, apparently. Uh, it's completely alien to me, but whatever is helpful to people, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it, but I wasn't raised with it. So, you know, mm. I mean, my, I don't know if this is too morbid, but my instructions for my wife were, they were illegal because she would have to interfere with the corpse to, to go through with my final wishes I, I i'm as i said i'm a true crime and murder mystery guy and i said if you could just de-identify me and drop me in the bush somewhere it would be great for people to work out who i was but um that's that's interfering that's interfering with a corpse and, and you can't do that so. no that's illegal don't do that please don't do that i'd say that might be a little too morbid but it, it came with the best of intentions no i think i think i think death and conversations about death is a taboo and people are scared to say funny or dumb things and they shouldn't you shouldn't you know everybody dies and if everybody does it then surely that's fair game for some funnies honestly that to me with with everything i know i can be very overbearing with some of the things i will make humor out of and i had to learn my social cues to step back but to me you have to kind of take that in your stride and be like, well, you know, one way or the other, I'm going to end up there. So what's the point in avoiding the, that conversation or having a little yeah. bit of fun? I said that I organised the music for my for my grandma's funeral. I made a, a playlist of my own for my own funeral. Great. It's all songs either about death, like, you know, it's Highway to Hell by ACDC, Everyone Else is an Asshole by Bare Naked Ladies, is th- this is for your wake, right? Yeah, wake. So not not funeral, funeral, but wake. Yeah, right, gotcha, that's, that's gotcha. I'm like, you may as well have a laugh at that point because I'm gone. <laughs> so you know, I've got a, you know, another one by to the dust by Queen. Brilliant. Uh, I did put Thriller in there because I'm like, you know, maybe I'll Fuck's up sake. and you know have a bit of a dance. But 
just might as well have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, I think you're right. I absolutely think you're right. So uh, uh, before we talk about your funeral, I do want to quickly kind of pester you more about Aussie culture. Do you mm-hmm. know about the kind of ratio to of, of burials to cremations in your country? Because in this country, it's the vast majority of people get cremated now. I think it's the same here. I know all uh, all the funerals I've been to in family and out for the last last five or six that I've been to have all been mm. cremations. And I think that's fairly standard now, whereas probably not all that long ago, I think it was way less common to be cremated. Yeah. But I think it's just become a thing. And I think it's a little bit more personable. Like, you know, we spread my granddad's ashes where he used to walk on a nature trail every day up this big mountain. It's one of those things, I think, from my perspective, you can take the ashes, you can do whatever you want with them. But yeah, like you can have that personal experience where you can, you know, release the ashes or, or spread the ashes in a nice spot and you can go back to that spot. It's usually a little bit nicer than going back to a cemetery, I reckon. Mm, I mean, I'm genuinely surprised by that. I would have thought that because, being blunt, you got a lot more space than Britain has, that True. maybe it might have been a more of a burial culture. But I think something like this probably isn't to do with space, or at least not all to do with space. Mm. And I mean, in Sydney, the biggest cemetery, Brookwood, is in a very densely populated area, and I've got no doubt whatsoever that they would love to be able to rip that up and develop it, because real estate in Sydney is somehow amongst the most expensive in the world. Right. I think Sydney, the last time, there was a story in the paper the other day that was like Sydney... The cost of real estate in Sydney is behind only like New York. And so Sydney is like this ridiculously expensive real estate. I don't think that plays into it as well. So do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? I think you've probably kind of hinted. Listen, you know what I'd like to do in, in lieu of being able to, my wife to. We're, we're, no. Right, good. So, so no wife crime. Good. I'm glad. I won't force her to commit a crime. I'll leave that in her hands. But if she doesn't want to, cremation. <laughs> Mostly because I can't afford some giant like mausoleum. I'm just trying to think what's the what's the term? But it's like a uh, a giant tribute to my life, almost like a right, a fucking gigantic statue. Exactly, like some giant like covered in gargoyles and like something really sinister and massively <laughs> garish and huge. Can't afford that at the moment. Why not go for a pyramid if you've got infinite money? True. I didn't think of that. But someone's going to come yeah. along and try and dig that up. True. Everyone's messing around with those. You know, no one learned from the Brendan Fraser movies. <laughs> so I, something that might, you know, if I could have something giantly garish that there's like a town legend about years and years later, like, oh, you don't go near that at night. <laughs> but um, in lieu of that... I, th- I think that's a little more realistic, perhaps. <laughs> Back brutally into the world of realism there. Have you any idea about, like, uh, readings that you'd like at your funeral? Uh, not particularly. I, I had obviously put some thought into the, uh, into the songs at the wake uh, mm-hmm. more than anything. But, um, again, I don't want people to be and depressed 
And uh, 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 genuinely, this is the, you're like my ninth guest on here. And it's the thing that people struggle with the most. And what I will tell you is that um, the principal mourners, the families of the people that, that have died, it's the thing they struggle with the most too. So I think if you do kind of leave an idea of what poem or prose you'd like to be read at your funeral, you're doing your mourning relatives a big favour because it always seems to be the sticking point for a lot of people. It'd probably take a lot of weight off their shoulders, I guess. Mm. I'll be honest, I, I literally just Googled funny funeral readings and I found a poem by Michael Ashby. Okay. Death is too negative for me. I'll be popping off for a long cup of tea. As someone who drinks about 10 cups a day, I, I, already I feel like that's the winner. Good for you, man. Uh, uh, reading about tea. I mean, I like tea. And, and I thought that, you know, not to play up to the host a little bit, but for those British sensibilities, bringing bring a little bit of tea in. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Aussie stereotypes. I, I'm very much a stereotype when it comes to a love of tea. Yeah, I'm a little bit anachronistic like that, but I, I've discovered lemongrass and ginger tea with honey. Sounds all right. It's fantastic. Um, addictive. New lifeblood. Tea's wonderful. I have joked about doing a podcast about tea, but no more podcasts for Mark. No more. Yeah, you're kind of stretched thin at the moment, aren't you? I've got too many. I love them all, but I've got too many. But this isn't about me. Um, so we've talked about the music at your wake. Have you thought about the specific tracks that you want for the entrance, the reflection and the exit parts of your funeral? Well, I guess it'd have to stick with the same lot i would like flower of scotland in there at one point i was to get a little bit emotional right now that makes a lot of sense i do lean a lot back on my scottish heritage i play the pipes do all that i've got tattoo design being drawn up at the moment that does have a a bagpiper as part of it cool yes you know it's one of those things it's a bit tacky but it's also kind of so yeah i think flower of scotland would, would have to be in there but other cool. than that, it's like, whatever you want, guys. If it's funny, go with it. If it's not, don't worry about it. Fair enough. Maybe we'll meet again. Vera Lynn. What about Vera Lynn? You don't hear that much these days. You don't nice. hear that a lot these days. A, would you like to know what the number one favourite song for when you exit a crematorium is in Britain? Absolutely. It is... I did it my oh, way. Oh, that's so cliched, isn't it? But I get it. Well, it's popular for a reason. It's a cool song too, and I'm a I'm a Sinatra karaoke guy. Uh, I can't sing for shit, but I, I do like to think that I'm a, a Sinatra karaoke guy. So I get it. Well, clearly I can't sing after that. <laughs> well, if you've listened to my podcast, you know I can't either. But it doesn't stop me from getting a song into every single episode. It's my platform to sing and do whatever I want, so I'm going to do it. So I'm going to throw you a, a... This isn't a question I've asked anyone before, but because you talked about that tattoo, about the Scottish tattoo, did you know that there's a museum somewhere in Europe, I can't remember where, but it's a tattoo museum where when people die, they actually kind of skin them and frame their tattoos. What do you think of that? I'm so on board for that. You see, I've got a lot of tattoos and I have thought about that. And almost everybody I know says that that's the strip. That's the, that's the straw. That's the, that's where you stop talking about death, Mark. Keep the taboo. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm on board with that. I think that's cool. My current tattoos are shit. 
I'm brutally honest. I got two shitty tattoos when I was young. Mm. Quality, they're not shit. They're just really tacky. I've got my football club on one arm. Right. Uh, the Southern Cross, which is the stars on our flag on the other. Right. That's kind of like the every bogan, well, I guess you guys call them champs, right? I mean, I don't use that word. I don't like it. But yes, that is the term that British people would use, yeah. That's the, like the colloquial term for, for one of the lads. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a term I like or would use. I think it borders on the abusive, and I'm not about that. I'm with that because our, I guess, side of that would be a bogan, and I have definitely been called a bogan before. Right. I like to think I'm a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more depth of character than that, but I think I can come across a little bogany sometimes. Right. And every bogan in Australia has a Southern Cross tattoo, so it, gotcha. it's one of those things. I got it when I was like 17, and it's like, really in your face on my arm so mm. no if they wanted to take my shitty tattoos for a museum they're welcome to them. yeah i think um i'm very fond of all of my tattoos but again i was older than you are now when i got my first one and um some of them have got a lot of thought some of them are just because i like cats and um, <laughs> you know the i i don't know i i i'm gonna get burnt so if some people want to look at picking a random one, an otter with a cheese board or a, or a monkey that's cooking with a ladle. Yes, I'm aware of that. <laughs> I, I'd love to think that my weird tattoos would end up in a, in a museum. Someone can at least enjoy them. Like my sleeve design has, and when I say a bagpiper, it's groundskeeper Willie playing the bagpipe. Marvellous. Coming out of the top is sheet music for Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Wonderful. Which is <laughs> one of the songs they played at my grandfather's funeral. Right. And so the idea is there's sort of Scottish for my nan, song for my pop, and it's going to wrap around my arm. And in between all the gaps are literally just different comic book characters. So it's got Batman, the Daredevil, oh. the Joker. Basically, all just, my whole arm is going to be covered in comic book characters. That's so cool. Yeah, and see, as a 31-year-old, I'm like, that's a cool tattoo that I will always love. Yeah. Whereas I look at the ones I got when I was 17, 18, and I'm like, it would have taken a little bit more time to do that. Do it yeah. right. Yeah, maybe. maybe. And, but um, there's stories there. There's stories. People look at them like, is that really a football team on your arm? And I'm, yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's a shit football team. They haven't won anything in a long time. But... <laughs> Right, so you and me, we're going to find out where that um, that museum is that wants to skin us and um, get in touch. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, Dan, for coming on to Life's Milestones. I, I know for a lot of people it's quite an intimidating thing. You don't sound like you've been intimidated by anything on the show, but thank you for coming on and sharing your stories. No, thank you. I was a little bit worried. I was, you know, my life is, is kind of weird and boring. I'm like, it's going to be interesting if anyone wants to listen to it. But I've had a blast. I love, I clearly, I, you know, narcissistic in some level. I love talking about myself. So I've had an absolute blast. <laughs> Where can people find you on that there internet? Twitter for the podcast is at prettyflypod, or you can find me at undiluted7. Facebook, Instagram, all pretty fly pod. But yeah, Twitter, I'm on there. And if you want to see a lot of angry political rants or sports-based rants or random 
musings about what I'm cooking, I post them on Twitter. So. I would enjoy at least one third of those. See, you know, how, how great is that? I've dragged you in with cooking. Of course it was the cooking one. I've got a tattoo <laughs> of a monkey cooking. <laughs> I can't cook for shit, but, and probably because I'm too busy tweeting while I'm doing it. But <laughs> it's something that uh, I don't mind doing every now and then. So before we go, any other plugs before we say cheerio? Nah, that's it. That's all I'm doing at the moment. Everything else is either on hiatus or has chilled out because I'm way too busy with work. Well, thanks again so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I'd just like to say one more thank you to Daniel for being my guest on Life's Milestones for this episode. I've really found it fascinating talking to an American followed by an Aussie when it comes to comparison of our ceremonies and stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break from that and come back to some British folk, but I will be doing more. I'm going to try and find some guests from other countries around the world to carry on with this idea. I'd also like to thank Daniel for being very kind when it comes to time differences and working out a time that would be good for us to be able to record because he does live in the future, which means that he is distracted by things like hoverboards and Jaws 19 and stuff like that. Before I go, a little bit of news. I always mention the playlist at the end of episodes and the playlist is actually up to date. By the time you listen to this, I will have added Daniel's tracks to the playlist. So it's up to date. It's actually up to date. I caught up. Aren't I a good boy? It only took me 10 episodes. So that's it. Thank you again for listening to Life's Milestones. And I'll see you in a fortnight. Life's Milestones is a podcast by me, Mark Adams. Follow me on Twitter at MarkAdamsHC. That's also my handle for instagram if you're looking for my website it's www.humanist.org.uk forward slash mark adams if you're looking for my facebook it's mark adams humanist celebrant all the information on how to use me as your celebrant is there the show's social media is at life's milestones on twitter other than that i am just using my celebrant contacts for the show thank you for listening And we'll see you next time. Elsewhere on We Made This. Motion pictures. It feels like a film that is a balm. And, and I never, I never thought that I would feel that about a Tarantino movie. You know, it is by far his nicest film. <laughs> you know, if, if you if you look at it from that context. So I've seen it four times now. I saw it on, on release on the opening weekend. I saw it then over Christmas, mm. and then I saw it about six weeks ago. I watched it, and then when I watched it again last night because we decided to do this, and I really like this film. I think the things you're talking about, I think it's a great hangout film. Yeah. And that's what Tarantino's described some of his films as. Right in the childhood. They don't see the aliens because they're right. always in the tripods. And I think I the setting where, like, you know, where post-apocalyptic, they've lost all their technology. Yeah. 
it's become very popular, like very, very popular recently, but this is still prime for a remake, I think. I'd love yeah, to see I that. See I could see it, yeah, especially with shows that you see now that Ryan Ox and Doctor Who's come back and stuff like that. For all those dystopian ones like Westworld and all that jazz. Mm. Something like it could be if it's the right person. Like, I, I get mad, like the BBC it's fundamentally British. I wouldn't want an American. No, no HBO. Well, unless it's HBO. <laughs> Pick a disc. When watching Bryce Wisdom, I mean, was you? How hard was it to not think of? Oh, if I was, if I was behind the same desk, I'd be. Oh, gigs are ruined for me forever. Yeah, it's. <laughs> You know, there'll be something that, you know, like a reverb will happen and I'll go, oh, that was nice. And then all my mates are like, Ben, stop it. <laughs> just enjoy the gig. Um, the first thing I'll do is I'll always just poke my head over and just go, oh, you're using a Midas Pro 2. Interesting. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, Digico SD7. Oh, nice. And then the first thing I do and take a picture of it and they're like, Ben, you're such a nerd. Yes, I know. Um, yeah, and it's, but I love it. And that's kind of part of the enjoyment these days. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.